HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Gusiamo.com, an online company specializing in bringing real Italian ingredients made by good Italian farmers and food makers to pantries all over the United States. Gustiamo.com is offering free shipping to the Food Scene listeners on their entire website through the 2017 holiday season. At checkout, just use Gusti code THEFOODSCENE. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. No matter how much you choose to give, you'll feel awesome next time you tune in, knowing that we wouldn't be here without you. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Plus, we have great member swag. Show off your HRN pride with a t-shirt or keep your hands safe in the kitchen with an HRN potholder. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org donate. Thanks for listening.
Hey, and welcome to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. And I actually regret not having a dance sequence at the beginning of this show, because we have Sri Rao here today, um, who is the first American to actually be a writer, American-born uh, um, of Indian descent, to be a writer in Bollywood. And Bollywood is a fascinating genre of film, if you've not seen it. I got lucky enough to have a, a, a teacher when I was in college, uh, Miranair. Oh, um, wow. And saw Monsoon Wedding, you know, uh, in, in the, what was that, the early aughts. I think yeah. it was in 2001 mm-hmm. it might have come out. Probably, that sounds right. And I was obsessed with that movie on, on many levels as, as a filmmaker, um, as, as it being such a great kind of documentary of a, a, you know, culture that I didn't know. But it was so vivid. It was so real. And I would go out to eat with some of the class in Brookline, Massachusetts, which has a dense Indian population. And eat that food afterwards discussing that film. And I didn't realize until reading your book, Bollywood Kitchen, how ingrained food is a part of these films, of Bollywood as a whole. And you've obviously done this encapsulation of what film and food mean together. And I want to start with what are your favorite films and are there food scenes in those films that resonate with you? Yeah, well, the connection between food and films, I think, is really intrinsic to being Indian or Indian American because we love movies so much. They're such a big part of our lives, even more so than here in America with Hollywood films. And food also is an incredibly important part of our lives. Anyone who's been to an Indian wedding knows that it's sort of like a five-day celebration (laughs) of nonstop food and then dancing to Bollywood songs. (laughs) So, um, you know, there is a a connection in terms of the joy and the color and the flavor that these two things bring to our lives. My favorite films, you know, I am a huge Bollywood fan and I've watched hundreds of movies through the course of my life. So it's hard for me to, you know, narrow down my uh, my selection. But there is one film that comes to mind called The Lunchbox, which I talk about in my book. A lot of people may have heard of The Lunchbox because it is one of the few films from India that sort of crossed over and got a theatrical release here in the United States. It came out, I think, two years ago and did really well in, um, in movie theaters here in America as well as a foreign language film. And the story of The Lunchbox is that it's this very subtle, small, delicate romance between two unsuspecting people. Um, It chronicles this phenomenon of lunchbox delivery men in in India, in Bombay. And if you're not familiar with that system, it's really incredible. It should be one of the seven wonders of the world. (laughs) Basically what happens in Bombay and other big cities, but particularly Bombay and India, um, in the morning, people will prepare um, home-cooked lunches uh, at home and then we'll send these lunches in um, stainless steel um, containers called tiffin carriers or, or, or dubbas, meaning boxes. And they will send them this home-cooked food in these packages with a delivery man to someone's office, like to their husband's office or to their son's office because it's usually women that are preparing this food. And these delivery men carry these containers on their backs, on their shoulders, on their bicycles, through the chaos of Bombay and somehow deliver them to the right person in a town of, I don't know, 20 million people. And this is a, a system that goes uh, goes on with like clockwork every day in India. And the, the story of the movie The Lunchbox is about a meal prepared by a lonely housewife that gets delivered to the wrong man and gets delivered to a lonely widower um, and then starts an unlikely relationship between the two of them where they communicate back and forth in letters and in in lunches day by day. 
you grew up in Pennsylvania. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Far from Bombay. So yeah. do, do I see you as a young child going to school with a tiffin or having someone deliver <laughs> to you while you were uh, in the cafeteria? Luckily, no. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I just had my uh, my lunchbox. Uh, I think, what did I have? I think I'm, oh, I had my Muppets lunchbox. Yeah. <laughs> my Muppets lunchbox. No, my parents did not make me eat Indian food for lunch, um, which I think I probably would have been mortified, embarrassed to death if, if that had happened um, because I was the only Indian kid in my community growing up. I, I grew up outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in a, in a 99% white, um, 99% Christian community. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I grew up much differently than than the world of the lunchbox. Yeah, it was fascinating to, to find out that when your father immigrated in the late 50s, early 60s, that mm-hmm. there were less than 10,000 uh, Indian people in That's this right. country at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So when we look around and see so many Indian restaurants, at least in the metropolis of New York, it, it's it's so far from what, what, 55, 60 years ago? Yeah, not even. I mean, immigration from India really opened up in 1965, but it wasn't until the 80s that the first, you know, sort of larger waves of Indians started coming here in, in larger numbers. Still to this day, they're um, I think of the most recent census, there's only about some 4 million uh, people of Indian descent in the United States. So it's really only like 1% of the population. We're not a very big um, group, uh, but I think that particularly in cities, um, I think we, there's a certain prominence for Indians in terms of our food. You know, I think that's one of the ways that a lot of people have accessed I- Indian culture is through the restaurants that they've encountered in, in larger cities. But I mean, the majority of those restaurants aren't traditional uh, of, of Bombay. I mean, a lot of those are Punjabi yes. and you go to the areas, what do they call them? Curry Row. Or, <laughs> yeah. Little India. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Curry Hill. Yeah. Here in New York. Yeah. I, what do you think of those restaurants? What are they serving there that aren't typical of yeah. your life? So people often ask me, what's my favorite Indian restaurant? And I have to tell them, unfortunately, time and time again, that I, I rarely eat in Indian restaurants because the type of food that they serve there is not the type of food that we eat at home. That um, The food that you get in Indian restaurants typically tends to be unhealthy it's made with a lot of butter, a lot of milk fat, a lot of oil, a lot of deep fried stuff. Um, it's also only in, usually indicative of one or two regions of India. As you mentioned, Punjab is a is an area in northern India where a lot of the restaurant owners have come from. Um, many of the restaurant owners are also Bangladeshi. Um, so the food that I grew up eating was actually very different. The food that I grew up eating was was very healthy, um, very simple, um, but, e- but equally delicious and y- made using ingredients that my mom and all of her friends could find easily here in America in the 60s and 70s and 80s when there were very few, if any, Indian grocery stores around. So you wouldn't necessarily find tikka masala at your house. Chicken but, tikka yeah. masala is not Indian. So I want to yeah. be the first. I want to clear that up first and foremost. Chicken tikka masala is not Indian. I mean, legend has it that it was invented in the United Kingdom by a guy, a chef who poured tomato soup over chicken curry. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, you will not find chicken tikka masala in my house, nor will you find it in most Indian houses in America. But you will find it in London and you will yeah. actually find the plethora, the kind of gamut of Indian food in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just the way it was imported here, obviously, isn't typical of what's, what's in a, a you know, household. Right. But, but what is typical of a household? Do you, do you, you know, eat specific things that you go over to your friends, your Indian friend's house, and they also have that? And it's just one of those yeah. ordinary things that you hope to elevate through this book. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to do in this book is to show you the type of food that Indian American families like mine grew up eating and continue to eat to this day. So... Um, 
yes, to answer your question, there are sort of commonalities between all of our families here in the United States where we, regardless of what region we came from in India, there are certain dishes that every household will have. So for example, every household will will serve chickpeas, you know, chenna. They'll serve uh, kidney beans called rajma. They'll serve string beans. Um, they Because those ingredients are all readily accessible here in America. They will also always serve some type of dal, which is a lentil dish. And I include in my book a very easy um, dal dish that can be that can be made simply without having to use a pressure cooker or without having to soak your lentils overnight, which is a complicated step that most American cooks don't have the time to do. And then, of course, there is, you know, the quintessential chicken curry that every household has. Um, the, the recipes might be slightly different from home to home, but it's always basically the same um, process of chicken that's braised in a rich sauce of tomatoes and spices. And I mean, I, I love, I don't know if this is, is true at your household, but I've gone over to friends' houses to eat to or Indian, and the way a plate is constructed is yeah. like from the center out. Right. And it, it, it's this communal, it's this yes. comforting food, and I can only see how perfect it would be to be sitting in front of a TV screen watching watching a movie, eating <laughs> yeah. this platter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was also one of the things I wanted to accomplish with this book is to help people understand how to construct an Indian meal. So all of the recipes in my book are, are grouped by uh, by meals, by a menu of an entree, a couple of side dishes, an accompaniment, possibly a dessert, and organized in the way that we would eat it. So yes, as you mentioned, in in our houses, you'll take a plate and in the center of the plate will be either rice or bread. And then around the perimeter of the plate will be your um, your vegetables, your meats, um, your your chutneys, your yogurt, your dal, whatever. And, and, and the, the selection of those dishes is something that comes innate, I think, to most Indians, but it's really deliberate. You know, they are they are chosen to complement each other in terms of tastes and textures. Well, you know, obviously we're going to talk about movies eventually, but, you know, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to mention that it's crazy to think Bollywood as a whole sells twice the amount of tickets than Hollywood. You know, obviously we're on this island of North America of the United States, but Bollywood is a huge, huge industry. How big an industry is it? It's the largest film industry in the world. Um, They produce something around 1,500 to 2,000 movies a year. And as you mentioned, they sell twice as many tickets worldwide as Hollywood does. And that's not just in India. Bollywood is really popular in other parts of the world, like the United Kingdom, the Middle East, um, Singapore and Hong Kong, and and increasingly so here in America. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and Look and look again. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo.com, an online retailer specializing in bringing real Italian ingredients made by good Italian farmers and food makers to pantries all over the United States. Gustiamo.com is an independent company that imports everything themselves, from Sicilian ancient grain flour to balsamic saba, everyday vinegar, and sells directly to consumers at Gustiamo.com. Gustiamo.com is Solucione Perfecta for all of your holiday shopping. Their beautiful gift boxes come in all price ranges and are all filled with real Italian ingredients that will delight curious and adventurous chefs and non-chefs alike. I'm Michael Harlan Turkel, a regular customer, and just ordered the O Sole Mio gift box because you can never have too much anchovy colatura. You can purchase the full range of gift boxes by going to Gustiamo.com and clicking on the blue gift icon. Have a big gift list this year? Send your list to Gustiamo.com and they will do the rest, making sure your gifts will arrive around the date you choose. 
Give anyone on your list a delicious holiday with Italian ingredients and products made with outstanding craftsmanship and sourced with care. Gustiamo.com is offering free shipping to the Food Scene listeners on their entire website through the 2017 holiday season. That's G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O.com. At checkout, just use Gusti code, the food scene. Welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Sri Rao of Bollywood Kitchen, this amazing cookbook that combines both Indian cuisine and Indian cinema. And let, let's talk about Look Again and Again, uh, the, the film that you wrote and produced. Um, not only what it's about, but why the recipes in this book are in conjunction with that movie. Uh, yeah, so this I wrote a movie last that came out last year called Bar Bar Deco, which translates into Look Again and Again. And it was a really interesting experience for me because I grew up watching Bollywood movies and had always had this dream of maybe making one myself someday. Um, I eventually ended up having a career here in America as a Hollywood screenwriter um, and at some point decided to turn my attention to Bollywood and see if I could make a mark there. The process of, of have, getting my script um, uh, purchased by a couple of major studios in India and then them having them make the movie was a really arduous, um, interesting experience that I could probably write a whole movie about also. But in the end, um, I was really happy um, with the sort of a dream that was fulfilled. And uh, we had a, a, a song in the in the movie called Kala Chashma, which is will always be my claim to fame because it became the number one song of the year and has like over 300 million views on YouTube. And so I'm very um, proud and kind of amazed that I wrote this script sitting in my apartment in Manhattan. Um, and then somehow it turned into this movie that went around the world. And now this song that um, every Indian person <laughs> in, the, in the world knows came well, from that. I mean, let's talk about the music because... Uh, is it true that all Indian films are actually musicals yes. or are all Bollywood films? Yes, all Indian films, 98% of Indian films are musicals. But that doesn't mean that they're musicals in the sense of uh, how we think of musicals because they actually cut across genres. There are Bollywood films that are comedies and dramas and period epic films and horror films and children's films and all of these different genres but they all have songs in them. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's actually the great part about it because it makes the movies, um, you know, just a lot more fun when there are songs and dances in them. Well, I mean, I, I recently watched Amir Khan's Dangal, um, yeah. which is about a father teaching his two daughters to become wrestlers. And it's based mm -hmm. off a true story, too. That's right. So then the music gets incorporated because I'm assuming it's not like Lars von Trier, Dogma 95, where the music's mm -hmm. actually happening in real life while they're wrestling. But what's so amazing about that film, too, is that they're not all fantasy. And I also think that's a pre-concept of seeing, you know, aspects of Bollywood kind of leak into Hollywood films mm -hmm. that, you know, it's always this fantastical thing. It, it is based on real life. A lot of these things are of love, of marriage, of celebration, of of death. You know, it, it is it is not sci-fi. Absolutely. And, you know, what I've done in my book is to select the best contemporary films of the last 20 years that I think American audiences will appreciate and enjoy. So I've made sure to pick films that cut across genres so that there's something for everyone. There's a film, for example, called Gangs of Wasipur, which is a Quentin Tarantino-esque crime 
saga that is actually nine hours long, <laughs> but it's been split up in Netflix um, as into one hour episodes that you can sort of watch the way that you would um, uh, a TV show. But it's it's uh, it's a crime saga, you know, with with violence and guns and 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 politics and backstabbing and and all that sort of thing, and also happens to have music in it. So. Um, there is there's something for everyone in Bollywood, as you mentioned. Some of the films are incredibly realistic because they're based on true stories, as Dungle is, and that's a great movie, also. Um, and and all of these films, the ones in my book at least, are available to watch online on Netflix or Amazon, Sling TV, places like that. You know, and, and let's talk about the introduction of Indian cuisine in this book too, because you start off every movie has to have popcorn, and <laughs> yeah. you know there is masala, there's uh, mm-hmm. that spice kit that everybody has in their house, all Indian families. Yeah. And I mean, everyone should have because it is so vibrant and flavorful. But from there, you move to a, a movie called Langan, which is about British colonial sports drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is cricket and there is so much more. But wh- why do you choose masala crusted salmon in that? Why do these specific recipes reflect that movie? Yeah. So Lagan is the only um, is one of only three films from Bollywood ever to be nominated for an Academy Award. So that is one of the reasons that it's in the beginning of my book. It's a cricket drama, as you mentioned, but also a story of colonialism and a small village in India that sort of rises up against the their British oppressors. And I chose to pair with it a meal that that also talks about the influence in terms of food between India and the United Kingdom. So there is a dish in um, England called Kedri. And that is a dish that came from India, but then was then adapted. So Kedri, as, as I understand it, in Great Britain, is a dish made with um, with rice and flaked fish, and they put eggs in it and other spices and stuff. Um, it, it, it was It's a very popular breakfast food, as I understand. Mrs. Uh, Patmore served it on Downton Abbey. It was very trendy at at a certain time because it came its roots draw back to India to a dish called kichdi which is um, one of the recipes in this meal that I have in my book kichdi is a typical very quintessential Indian comfort food also often eaten for for breakfast and it's made with rice and lentils instead of rice and fish and so what I've done here is to present a meal that has kichdi in it and also has a masala crusted salmon in it as well which um uh, has the flavors of Indian food um, applied in a way that's very accessible to American uh, to American eaters because it's salmon. So I've sort of taken um, kedgeri and deconstructed it back to its Indian roots. So we have the kichdi, which is the core of kedgeri, the lentils, and then separately the masala crusted salmon, and then beside that, as a as a side dish, um, grilled asparagus with black mustard seeds. So things that you might find in um, a kedgeri in in Great Britain, but sort of taken back and and taken apart in a way that um, highlights the Indian flavors. On the menu for NH10, uh, I don't find anything scary about cauliflower (laughs) peas and tomatoes, but why that Gobi Matar? So NH10 is this terrifying um, uh, thriller that is really, really good. Um, And it's a story about a couple, a very affluent couple from New Delhi that take a road trip on NH10, which is National Highway 10, out out of the city and into the rural countryside where all sorts of bad things happen to them. And um, 
along the roads, uh, along all of India's major roads and small roads in, as well, um, there are these truck stops called dabas. And um, at a truck stop is sort of like where you where you stop and get like a roadside meal. And in North India in particular, the type of meal that you might get there is what I've put in the book, which is chana masala, which is chickpeas, um, gobi, which is cauliflower, um, chicken pollock, which is a spinach chicken. It's very, very qu- quintessential North Indian food that you might get at a truck stop if you were traveling along NH10. And hopefully you can avoid the horrors that <laughs> <laughs> ensued in the cup. Oh, it's one of those. I'm not a horror film person, so I watched a trailer of that one. I'm like, nope, that's not for me. But <laughs> this, the food, the menu sounds delicious. Yeah. And then Hater is an adaptation of Hamlet. Right. But it's set in the foothills of Kashmir. Yes. Haider is a great um, dramatic film from a well-known, renowned director named Vishal Bardwaj. It's his Indian adaptation of Hamlet. He also did a, uh, an adaptation of Macbeth and Othello in, in Bollywood. And set in the foothills of Kashmir in this beautiful, um, you know, picturesque, uh, snow-capped mountainside. And I decided to do a take on Shepherd's Pie. So taking the, the British, you know, Shakespeare roots of the Shepherd's Pie, but then turning into what I call playfully a Himalayan shepherd's pie where it is instead of ground beef and potatoes it's layers of ground beef and rice and lentils um all flavored with indian spices and then baked in the oven like a casserole and it's it's really fantastic and something that's great to enjoy with a large group of people on a chilly winter night in the himalayas yeah in the himalayas (laughs) when we find ourselves there definitely make that (laughs) dish but you know this book and these movies are for the whole family as well and there is this amazing movie which i've actually seen a, a good portion of which is kind of the little rascals of yeah. India. Uh-huh. Um, it's called what? Chillar Chiller Party. Chiller Party. Yeah. And it, it's hilarious. And <laughs> and all those children are, are just uh, such interesting and succinct characters in there. And then I love that you make fish sticks yeah. for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I wanted to show that, you know, kids can watch Bollywood too. I grew up watching Bollywood. I started when I was like eight years old and my parents first got a VCR. So this Little Rascals movie is just a lot of fun for kids. As long as they're old enough to read subtitles, they'll really enjoy it. And to show to show you that you can introduce your kids to different flavors at a young age. I hate hearing parents say, oh, my kids won't eat anything other than mac and cheese and they would never eat spicy foods. So they would never eat Indian food. Well, first of all, any food doesn't need to be spicy. And secondly, you can introduce new flavors in a way that's accessible to them. So I've created a menu that is um, coconut crusted salmon sticks, you know, and so who doesn't like fish sticks? So these are, but these are baked, so they're healthy and um, they're coated with, with panko, but also there's some coconut in there and there's some spices in there that are mild for sure for a, um, a child's palate, but really just start to get them acclimated to the idea of eating different types of flavors. Well, if you're not a Bollywood fan, and yet you will be after reading Bollywood Kitchen. This is truly a movie and dinner. Thank you so much, Shree. And you Thank can you find so more about Shree's work at New York Shree. That's S-R-I dot com. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Gustiamo. And just remember, use Gustiamo code THEFOODSCENE for a discount on all your 2017 holiday shopping. Music by Cookies and David Tattashore Engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.